Welcome to the next instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. My name is Michael Sullivan and I'm your host for today. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation today. It's an extremely interesting topic and today I'm going to be joined by four extremely experienced engineering leaders. The topic is how to drive the creation of the platform, of a platform. Um, and before we go into the topic, uh, I'd like to go through through some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about, um, and if you'd like to kick things off, Gabor. Yes, um, thank you for having me. I'm Gabor Chomak, um, tech lead at Bally's Interactive. I've been uh, in the same company back then called Gamesys for eight years. We've been uh, recently acquired, merged together with Bally's, um, and around the same time, I've got uh, an opportunity to become a tech lead. Um, previously, I was a game developer. Uh, online online bingo games was my uh, most uh, out, main output. And right now, I am uh, in charge of the web platform. Um, so platform is in the name. I hope I have some good experience here. And because I was in the same company for a long period of time, I think I have some good insights, um, you know, about long longevity, how to make something long, long standing. Um, I will definitely refer to to successes is really correlates with time as well. Um, in my free time, I play a lot of um, ice hockey and in general, I enjoy sports. And uh, yeah, uh, that's that's. Uh, my intro. Thank you very much. Welcome on, Gabba. Welcome on. Um, over to you, Keitan. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Keitan, uh, the tech delivery manager at Accenture UK. Uh, I have been in the engineering field for about a decade now, or more than a decade, and uh, started as a front-end developer, been working uh, my way through being a full-stack developer and now being as a delivery manager for uh, Accenture. Uh, along with that, the other part of my role is also being the uh, head of uh, full stack engineering, where I make sure that we can provide the support and the engineering career directions for more, for the group uh, members and also ensure that we can provide the support that they need in order to progress from uh, in their career. Uh, platform uh, as Accenture UK, we, we've been working with lots of different clients and I've got experience working on those platforms and uh, the pros and cons of why things uh, work on a platform and how things work as well. So that that's something that is quite near to me as well. So hence uh, I'm on the platform on, on the call today and uh, in my personal life, I've been uh, training for Taekwondo. So uh, trying to uh, get into Taekwondo again and in six months time, I've got a, a competition in London. So my again, my train, trainer is killing me right now to make sure that I am fit for that particular fight. Um, anything I talk about today uh, is my personal uh, experience uh, and does not uh, uh, relate to any of the Accenture views itself. So that's me. Uh, nice Brilliant. having everyone. Today. Brilliant, Keith. Then welcome on the podcast and uh, all the best in your competition in the next couple of weeks. Over to you, Jason. Hi. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Jason. I've worked in software for about 15 years. I think I started in firmware and sort of embedded systems and for that now generally building cloud deployed web applications. Uh, I'm the head of engineering at Kodat uh, and more recently I've been building up a division within the engineering function specifically for platform engineering, which is uh, this is very topical. Um, 
uh, yeah, that's me. You didn't mention what you're into outside of work as well, Jason. Oh yeah. So what do I get up to outside of work? <laughs> I've got two. Uh, I've got two young boys. Uh, one four, uh, another just about two. So I do parenting outside of work. I think they take an awful lot of the time, which is great. It's a joy. Just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We feel that. <laughs> and and last but not least, over to you, Simon. Thank you, thank you. No, I I'm totally empathetic with Jason. You know, it's hard to ask what you do in your spare time. It's like well, running behind my daughter basically most of the time. <clears throat> so, hi everyone. Um, I'm Simone. I'm the head of engineering here at Ontu. Uh, Ontu is a tech company that basically provides uh, electric car all-inclusive uh, subscriptions, and uh, I started as a consultant a long time ago. I'm not going to mention how long ago because it's uh, too long. Um, I think the first part of my career was mostly helping teams and uh, engineers get better with some of the technical practices. Again, the most common were pair programming, continuous delivery, and things like that. I've been always a big advocate of DevOps, so this has always been close to my heart. Um, I think when you do too much consulting, that you get very arrogant, that you think you know everything you do. So I decided to run two companies, I co-founded two companies. One went bad, it was the first probably, like I realized I was, I didn't know as much as I wanted to. The second is that it's still going well, so I mean, certainly a success. Then as mentioned, my daughter was born and I realized that as an entrepreneur, there is really little time that you can spend with your family. So I stepped back and I joined Babylon Health. I spent a few years at Babylon Health and then I got really passionate about electric cars and I really wanted to sort of help spread the love for electric cars and so I joined on to. And uh, both at Babylon, I used to run, one of my teams used to do a platform work and currently I own to, we also being a new cloud platform uh, engineering function. So it's something that is very close to my heart as well. Fantastic, welcome onto the podcast, Simone. All right, so, Let's get straight into the questions. Um, if you'd like to start with your one, Gabba. Yes, so the question I brought is, how do you measure success when creating a new platform? And I guess, Keaton? Yeah, uh, I think it's a very broad question uh, in uh, in itself. Uh, and having the KPI slash metrics for a successful platform is something differs from an organization to organization. But personally, what I've seen is uh, I think the top four that I feel that could me- uh, put, measure the success of, of the platform. The first one is the engineering team. Uh, I feel that if a platform has been created and is in front of the customers or internal or external uh, customers, uh, the engineering team the, uh, ha- has given a very hard uh, thought into what the engineering should be, how the platform should be built. Uh, what tools and technologies to be used and uh, everything related to the technology and in the engineering. So I think if the engineering team is something uh, is of a very good uh, foundation, if you have a good foundation of that, uh, the definite outcome would be your successful platform that you build up. The the second metric that I feel would be the platform stability. Now, coming from the large organization and the learnings from there as well. I think if you release your MVP of a platform, I uh, say that uh, to even internal customers, let's say take an example of an internal customer who has been having problems with using the paper process or uh, the email uh, process, etc. And if you publish a platform and you uh, has that stability, the customers will love it and they don't want uh, to have issues with your platform right from the day you launch it. So if you have a very 
uh, stable. Obviously, you will have incidents, you will have issues with the platform uh, internally uh, as well, but the outcome of it should be the stability uh, platform that uh, you provide to the customers. The third one is the user satisfaction. So platform stability correlates to the user satisfaction. And it's important that when you release a platform uh, for the first time, you not only think of that it's an engineering feat that we have achieved something great, but also think from the customer's point of view or the user's point of view, are they satisfied? And if they're satisfied and if they get what they wanted, i.e. they can do the task at hand of what they wanted to do from the platform, I think that's in itself is a success because that you are achieving something that for a platform and your engineering team and your organization objective as well, that kind of achieves and uh, 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 gives a success. And the last one is quite important because as engineers, we often try to make things complex. So the, the last one is simplification. So how do you simplify your platform? And if your platform is simple enough at the start of your uh, uh, release, it gives you the comfort that I'm not over engineering it. I'm not over complicating because I want to add lots of features into it. I'm not doing that up, up front. So having that simplified product in front of the customers who can use it, tell you the problems that they have or the gaps that they have and build on top of it. That's what I feel that uh, you can say, if you've got these four metrics uh, according to me, then I would call it as a success of a platform. Thanks, Keith. Then over to you, Jason. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think some of the things that I would say maybe would mirror uh, what Kitan's just been been talking about. I think the thing about a platform, I, I, maybe we haven't rounded around a definition yet. Maybe by the end we'll know what a platform is. But I feel like a platform is in part, maybe we can agree, it's something that people build things on top of. You know, it maybe isn't necessarily a product in its own right. Um, and so maybe it's those sorts of there's metrics you might think of uh, for how someone is going to build are, are ones worth measuring for success. Maybe that's the reason why you're building a, a new platform or something. So is it is it getting people to do things faster and more accurately? You know, can they can they build quicker? Is their cycle time less? Uh, as you know, Keaton talked about stability. Are there are there less bugs? Are there less incidents on the basis of it? Um, and maybe you know, some platform. Maybe it's some policy. Maybe it's some policy that's strict and no one's going to get a choice. You know. As some security platform, maybe that people have to have to buy into for the sake of compliance or something. But I think a lot of the times, you know, with DevOps, um, autonomy is important, uh, and so engagement and adoption is it, you know, probably something else you want to be measuring. Are you? Is this something you feel like you've built something great, and are you, are you forcing people to use it? Um, is there friction? You know, you think it might be improving any number of those metrics, but is that something that they see there being real value out of getting feedback from your platform? I guess going back to that simplicity thing that Keaton was talking about, is this something that people feel like is going to make their life easier? Is there is there adoption? Are people, you know, clambering to get access and, and use this thing? Um, and some way to measure measure that. I don't know whether it's like a, an NPS type thing or whatever measurement you have for that kind of engagement. I don't know. We've got Dora maybe for some of the, those other measurements, you know, cycle time and change failure percentage and things like that. But yeah, I'm not sure how you measure simplicity or engagement or something like that for platform. Um, I don't know, but it seems like that would be a useful thing to measure. Thanks, Jason. And over to you, over to you Simone. Yeah. <clears throat> Keith and Jason, your answer both resonated with me. So I don't think where I'm going is going to be very different from where, where you've been. So, and uh, I'm a bit of a stickler for definition. So I think I'm going to start with what I mean for platform, because again, if not, I'm always worried that someone, you know, we think in a different way. And especially for platform, that is such an overused term. So for me, a platform 
for a platform, I mean a product, you know, bear in mind a product that provides a service or technology can be used to develop other technology or other application. Um, the reason I stress the fact that it's a product is because obviously if it's a product, it requires product techniques. So, um, you know, I, I won't deny it. So, Given that uh, Gabor question was about new platform, this is how I normally approach new platform. Um, because it's a new product, we want to make sure that we measure success, for example. So is it is it uh, is it is a need in the market? And that works for both external and internal. If it's external, even more. If it's internal, uh, are we building something that actually people are going to use? Obviously, as Jason mentioned, sometimes some platforms are like mandated from the top. It's kind of like, this is the new platform you need to adopt. Uh, there are some circumstances when this is advisable in general, uh, like Jason said, I'm very supportive of giving the option to adopt. Also because it's a, it's a good way to measure, you know, like after six months, how many people have moved. And the reason why it's also uh, valuable is because it forces you to really think about developer experience. So if you, if, if you give the choice to adopt it or not, and your developer experience is low, it's likely that adoption is going to be low. So, and for me, normally this is how I normally start in terms of adoption. Uh, these are the kind of metrics that I look at at the beginning of it. Normally it takes a bit of time to figure out what next is, but this is normally on top of my mind. Thanks, Simone. Great answers there from the guys. Small back to you as well, Gabba. How do you measure success when, when creating your platform? Um, I came thinking three, three main areas. Um, there are some overlaps uh, with 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 the other uh, panelists here. So the first thing to me is longevity. Uh, obviously, when you drive or create a new platform, you will think about how long it will live as well. And ideally, that's not infinite, but you know, as far as business can foresee. Otherwise, you would, you know do a platform that supports the longer term vision. So the short term, the long, long term vision needs to match and a new platform needs to be efficient, both short term and long term. But uh, I would always favor the long term if if you if you know me. Um, sadly, that's not always how businesses work. Um, and I have very good example um, in one of my previous companies was working on one of the biggest banking platform I, I would be confident to say of the world. And it was developed in Adobe Flex. And then 2007 came and, or well, 2010-ish, uh, HTML5 became the new norm. And like the platform was ne nearly extinct. But thanks to the platform's adaptability, um, they could replace it to a new framework, new engine, knew everything on a rolling basis while keeping everything together. The platform was very major. And I think like if if I think about that platform, that's one of the biggest success. If you can survive that big of a change, that's very good. So longevity and adaptability, therefore coming hand in hand. And for adaptability, you will need to have the feedback loop, what we already mentioned. The second thing is obviously meeting the plans um, when we think about creating a new platform, we sell it to all the stakeholders, we will have a plan um, and we will probably have some timelines. But again, in this industry, uh, timelines are usually um, lightly handled. Um, but still, I think we can set up measurements based on the, the plans and promises. And if we, we are keeping our promises, our preset goals, that will, that will induce trust. And that will again help the the adaptability, the development experience, or anything our platform does. And the third point um, 
that I have in mind is positive return of investment. Uh, this is the three things I need for success. I don't really mind if it's, you know, if it's positive return of investment in a few thousand pounds saved in development experience or a much bigger uh, summary, because if it's positive, that means you you can, you, you know, either you can use your existing people, hire contractors or anything, and it's still a good decision. Um, and this positive return of investment will come up from many, many sub brackets, sub pockets from the cloud bill to the support costs of current old or alternative platforms, maybe even third party platforms, the development experience, even like how long does the build takes? Does the developer sit around one hour waiting for a new build to roll out or maybe only 10 minutes and they can finish like two more tasks a day? Um, also risk reduction that was mentioned, but many businesses will will be able to put a, a, a hard pound sign next to uh, outage costs. Um, so they, this is, um, and also like risk comes for both technical side and people side. What if people leave? What if knowledge leaves? All these kind of things. So that would be my three pillars for, for a strong platform. Thanks, thanks Gabo. So yeah, really interesting opening question and answers there. Um, if you'd like to go with your question next, Keita. Uh, yeah. So my question is, how do you ensure customer and technology is at the forefront of platform creation and does not lose focus as platform matures? Cool. Shall I start kick things off and uh, maybe jump in with an answer there, I guess? Uh, yeah, maybe this leads sort of maybe as a good segue directly from the previous question, right, in that and what we're measuring for in terms of our success ought to be linked to some sense of what the customer is getting out of it, some some net positive thing um, in this new tool or, or platform, whatever. And so as long as we've got metrics, as long as we're measuring something directly related to why a consumer cares about it, then you should retain that focus. And I think maybe that can sometimes get lost if you've got maybe a, an SLI related to some technical part of a platform. You might say, actually, latency, I'm going to maximize the latency. We've turned something we uh, we spent three months turning something that took five seconds into a call that took, you know, 15 milliseconds. You know, like some massive improvement. But if a customer is like, well, my expectation is this is in a part of the business process that's taking three weeks. If it takes five seconds or 15 milliseconds, I only click that button once every three weeks or whatever, it, it's not impactful. Uh, maybe that's where, you know, it's it's tough if you're measuring some some metric which isn't necessarily directly impactful. I think that's why that, what are you measuring for success? What's the success? Why is this being built? Um, is so important because it, that all those things should should link back to gig to help retain that focus, uh, I guess. And, and the other one is whether you're, you know, we talked about building something internally or externally. And um, was it Simone, you sort of said, it's still a product, right? You're still building, a product, a platform is still something you're kind of selling, even if it's just by nature of engagement rather than someone signing a license fee. Um, so you should you should keep all of the same channels open that you would, right? Do your user research, do um, you know, hold round tables, do whatever it is to make sure you keep a sense of, of customer and mission. And, and if their problems are changing, maybe your platform and I guess your product needs to needs to change too. Um, so yeah, maybe those two things, some of those things we mentioned are help focus, right? Getting around a bit of data kind of can help you focus. Um, yeah, cool. Simon? Um, so hmm, I think uh, to respond to the question, maybe uh, uh, I'm thinking about separating the technology aspect from the 
sort of like the customer aspect because I think in a way they can they should be handled in a different way so uh, normally in a in a team when there is no focus there is either lack lack of direction or lack of capacity this is the normally like either or right so in technology obviously I normally tackle this from a two different as aspect in terms of capacity I make space for technology improvements so it's kind of like you know like uh, I always have try to have a budget you know like I don't know 10 20 percent in technology improvements but also like, you know, uh, given the space doesn't only mean that, you know, the right thing is going to be built. So this is where I think I'm really connected to what Jason mentioned. And you know, having the right indicators for what the team should be doing, or even the company, you know, what are we aiming for? Obviously, like, you know, throughput, availability, security, these are all aspects that are important. But they are not only that, there are some aspects that are about, again, developer experience. You know, how long it takes an engineer to do X and Y, Z on this code base. You know, how can we make it faster? So these are normally like all indicators or metrics that I have per team. So, and they are customized by the team themselves to understand how much do we need to invest in those. So there is an overall direction there. Um, from the point of view of making the customer central, I mean, that to me, again, that's a product problem, isn't it? So it's kind of like my bias would be that if it's an external um, platform and you're not thinking about the customer, I. I don't know. I don't want to guarantee that you, you're not going to you're going to fail on the market, but, you know, certainly is not going to be a key advantage to you. If it's internal, then there are depend. It depends. Right. And like Jason mentioned, there is a big difference between like uh, an enforced platform and instead a platform where you give optionality. So an enforced platform, a platform where everybody needs to use it. If the customer is not at the center of your product thinking, it means that basically, um, you know, your platform is going to slow everybody down. You know, I used to say that a platform is a multiplier, but if you don't care about your customer, it's a negative multiplier. You're basically slowing all the company down. That's one, one end. If instead it's optional and you don't care about the customer, then adoption is going to be low. So again, I know that it's boring, but having also here the right sort of metrics and incentives, I think is going to be beneficial. Yeah, this is how I see it at the end. Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks, Simon. I think uh, your point around the customer based on a forced platform or a optional platform, it definitely has the connection over there because I feel sometimes being in the organization, uh, it you lose the focus that, okay, even if it is an internal customer, you might not be able to uh, see that those people as your customers, they are just employees. And that is something as an internal, if you want to succeed as an organization, you have to make sure that your internal our customers are also part of that process. So definitely, I uh, totally see that. Okay, um, I, I want to start by t touching a bit on the on the first forced platform thing. Um, so that that's very tricky because in, in some cases, if, if you force a platform that's not ideal, then uh, counter force will come. And eventually, like I really hope, I'm I'm trying to to tell my all the developers I'm working with, uh, you know, if you disagree or something is not right, stand up, push it, uh, push against, or let's discuss. Because um, if if we force on something and that's not good enough, then they need to stand up for themselves. And like even at our level, if I look at our titles, we're we're a bit far from actually feeling the the pains or easiness of of a new platform. So they are the ones uh, feeling it. And to to help this feedback loop, which we already talked about, uh, honest company culture is needed. If the company culture is, you know, bend the neck and do the work, that will that will never work. Uh, so that's that's a key part for all this we talked about, in my opinion. 
And the other thing is some sometimes force is still necessary. It might be that for the team using a third party platform third party or in-house or any platform is overhead, both cognitive, both adoption in many aspects. So for the team itself, it might not be a positive investment, but if um, if you are not careful, then you will end up teams re-implementing the same things all over and ag- over again. It's, you know, I'm sure many of you've encouraged, I- encountered the case when someone demos something in any brown bag or any kind of meeting and like hey we already did this two years ago and better so so sometimes we need to force and openness so that at least you know what others are doing what are the platform's goals and in the feedback loop as well so if uh, f- first of all the, the feedback loop shouldn't be based on feature requests like do this or that but rather this is my problem then again, the same thing as Agile tries to uh, do. You you understand the real problem. You can use the five whys or any kind of tactics uh, to inform what is the real issue underneath uh, a specific re- request. But then you, as the platform owner, need to respond to this need, to this feedback like, okay, we, we will do it next quarter sometime, or, oh, this you can have a quick workaround or on this or actually you might be using it wrong have you considered this or we i don't see we implementing this functionality but if you use this plugin extensibility kind of thing you can you can sort yourself out so so this is yeah this is where where i would put my my uh money to to have the proper feedback loop and enforce this kind of culture and then again um most cases the bottleneck for a platform uh, or why the platform is actually needed is the developer's cognitive load. We want to simplify the development experience in that aspect mostly. Performance in today's world usually usually negligible. My iPhone 4 can play, you know, not 4, but my iPhone whatever (laughs) is currently there Um, or Android. Uh, I'm an Android user anyway. Uh, is can play PlayStation 3 titles out of the box, like all the Grand Theft Auto are already ported. So they are very powerful devices. Performance will never be the issue, but scaling a project to hundreds of developers, that will be. And for that longevity, adaptability, you will need to have this this, um, flexibility ironed out. And to that, like Dora Metrics is, to my knowledge, one of the best approach if we if we want to end up something that we can actually build up a dashboard in at the end of the day um and then uh the other aim of a platform is usually to to save money um in some sort of aspect um so if if we want to make sure that the tech and the users are are focused around that we will need to need to be able to quantify uh all all the called hard cash related things as well yeah Yeah, on the the, like a few themes sort of i think a lot of people's answers around the kind of product uh productizing platform uh talking about this optional versus you know enforced and it sounds like you know keeping customer focus product focus you know keeping yourself honest about it this optional model sounds like sounds like a good model for the for the providing team but then maybe maybe the difficulty there is in terms of driving adoption is now a marketing and like qualifying leads problem so i mean maybe that's has anyone got an approach to that how do you market an in, internal tool when 
you know, it's maybe it's developers or <laughs> delivery managers or someone else who's who's marketing it. What material do we think they need to produce? Like, how does how does that work? Yeah, I have some example from Babylon if you want. Um, again, it's a channel. I think Gabo, Gabo, you made a very good point. It's kind of like it's not like a straight. Yeah, let's make everything optional because there are pros and cons. I still I think if the company size is good enough, it's not, I don't mind to have a couple of platforms that are competing for the same audience because it's kind of like if it's just one, there is no market, and you know the you know the the, the not very good solution may come up as the as the only one. So I don't mind to have competing solution. The only thing that you may want to avoid that people just build another solution because they don't know that there is another one existing. So. I think there is an element of making sure that you publicize and you market what you do. So uh, Babylon, the team was responsible for sort of like uh, promoting that platform. So we would have like specific sort of like meetings where we will, the platform will promote what we'll do to the, to the whole company. And so, and people were waiting, oh, finally, you know, next week we're going to release this functionality. So, and there were people that will adopt and people are not. And Something that you mentioned just that really like triggered my thought is uh, the qualified lead because that's key. Because for example, I was building a platform that wasn't for everyone. It wasn't like a cloud platform where everybody that has a microservice should potentially want to use. It was something for a smaller subset, something that architecturally could have made sense for some, but not support someone else. So we had we needed to be careful because if the goal was to just you know adoption for everyone, I would have start selling it to team that didn't need it. It was a workflow platform, so. You know, if it was for orchestration, but if I wanted, I could have sold it as, I don't know, something else and for the wrong reason. So I think being qualified in some cases, very, you know, finding the qualified leads is very important. The type of content, normally I used to have like a very, very clean sort of brochure that will go first to product and the leads just to highlight, you know, what the value are from their point of view. Uh, and then there would be some follow-up meetings and follow-up sort of documentation, but it certainly was a bit there was a bit of marketing hat to put on uh, that certainly was there no uh, i think this is quite good in terms of the the, the area that we've covered uh, around the question i think it's it's quite good and uh, jason you've mentioned around uh, the marketing that we could do internally as well so i think the experience that i've got internal uh, marketing point of view that i've done when i created an internal platform was go and do showcases of the platform just the way you do go and uh, pitch for for the seed investment to get your uh, company floating, you would do the same thing. How would I keep my team motivated and do the same, uh, mature the platform, make it more useful and usable for the internal users? So I would do the same. I, I literally went into and do, did the same thing. And Gabor, I think come on, coming to one of your points around the way of putting the platform and the measures around the adoptions and all of that. I think having, I think customers into the process of pushing that into the feedback. So having the customer central to your feedback process. And I know that there will be company objectives to achieve and all of that, but having an objective to always keep the customer because you'll always have deadlines. You'll always have timelines that you have to meet from an objective point of view, but how often can you step back and see, is this making sense from a customer point of view as well? So I think that being the people that we are at the our levels, it's our job kind of to say, are we thinking about the customers? Are we thinking about the technology? Uh, because the development team, as you said, is interesting that they would have the choice of optional platforms and all of that. But when it comes to us delivering the external or internal platform to 
as a deliverable, we would not have a choice but to deliver that platform. So how would you make sure that you keep your development team energized, but also when you uh, see a, as an outward focus, keep customer as your uh, uh, viewpoint and, and then develop the, the deliver the platform. And uh, Simon, coming to your point around the budget, uh, I really like that having the technology budget into the overall uh, company objectives, et cetera, is, is quite important because again, technology roadmap, technology gets old, it gets redundant. And as uh, Gabor, you mentioned around from Adip, uh, Flex to HTML5, if there was no technology budget, that platform migration and uh, renovation would have never happened. So it's key to have that technology roadmap with the people like us to make sure that we not just look at the platform and how we put it in front of the customers, but also internally how we improve that to make it more extensible and uh, usable by the, the, the users. So that that's me, I would say, taking this uh, uh, view from uh, a platform point of view. So yeah, Keith, and can I add something? Um, so the way I use technology budget is per team. Um, right. I think that there should be one roadmap. That is the company roadmap. It shouldn't gotcha. be like the technology and the product roadmap. So yeah. because if you have two, these are missed conversations. So basically, like you're head of exactly. I don't know, product and your head of engineering are not talking yeah. or the CTO and the CPO are not talking. Um, but what's valuable is to have that budget because at the more fine grain, uh, you know, team, as you said, need to update the library, need to refactor some code, need to do something to make their life because there are stakeholders in the project easier. So this is what I normally use budget for. Big restructuring, like big, you know, like replatforming. This is something that really needs to go on the roadmap. That is, yeah, Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And um, with, with the roadmap as well, whether it's product or platform roadmap, honesty is the key so that teams can plan, uh, they can build up, you know, reliable plans over the, the other parts of the product as well. And for um, for just touching back on the marketing, I do believe that the best marketing is still word of mouth. If someone you know you work with together says, buy this kind of um I don't know, tissue paper, then you will go give it a try. If they say, go watch this movie, you will give it a try. And it's really important, therefore, that if you develop a new platform, don't do it in an ivory tower siloed, siloed way, but always have early adopters work together who can obviously afford the teething issues, occasional downtimes, but who will therefore give much more closer and rapid feedback. Um, I think that's a very good way as well or if your platform is customer facing then just go on and you know just show a slice of the pie like okay this page is the new new style it will look like this um it might be that there are some ux inconsistencies that you either choose to mitigate or not but early feedback early data when we, we need to measure user data whether it's devs as the target or external customers user data will give you so much insight. There might be some issues with a random Chrome version or iOS version or screen size, or front, I'm front-end heavy, as you can see, but any kind of uh, combination uh, you will you will find from the data. And when it's only a slice of your overall platform, because new platform is usually a migration anyway. Uh, so let's assume we're not building a new startup here uh, or for this thread of thought. Um, and then if you, if you have that data, then you quote it early. Therefore, the cost, the impact is smaller. The cost to fix it is smaller as well. 
um, and that that would be my 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 other bet. Uh, go go early on, do live um, dog fooding, and uh, you know gradual rollout, roll out a few percent of the users, see if it improves or not. And based on the data, you can you can um, control your pace as well. If the data is good, better than expected, go full throttle, uh, and then you will have. Uh, and if the data is good, you will then have budget to fix any any issues that are coming because of the the faster pace. Great, great answers, guys. Hope you're happy with the detailed discussion around that, Keith. And yeah, really interesting question. So over to you, Jason, with your question. Yeah, so my question to the group was sort of, can a platform become a product? I guess talking maybe more about external or can an aspect of your product then suddenly become and thought of as a as a platform? And I think it sounds like everyone would just go, yes. <laughs> so maybe a more interesting thing, well, I guess examples uh, that people have got of where these things have, have crossed one line or the other and maybe what changed about the aspect of either how it was built or what the interaction model was or how the roadmap was managed you know, yeah interesting to hear thoughts yeah uh, this is a great great question jason um yeah and as you know obviously you, you know you work in a startup so you know that there is a quite a lot of pressure for startups to create their own external platform it kind of makes sense especially for companies that are you know not you know fully technology focused you know they're not um you know they have low margin so and platform normally external platform are a very good way to have high margin you know like a platform like SaaS platform could get 70 80 percent margin so, so that's pretty good to increase like a company sort of overall margin now um an example that i wanted to bring is uh, is what we did uh Babylon Health. So Babylon had uh, was really looking up to Amazon in terms of their approach to sort of like externalize their platforms. So there was a, in general, uh, from you know from the journey perspective, there was quite a push to sort of get those platforms that we use internally to be to see if that could be sold as an uh, independent service. And so I was, um, as I mentioned before, I was working for with a team called Workflow Platform that uh, it was started because basically like internally there were a lot of workflows to be built and uh, so and the platform was responsible to make sure that you know different teams inside the organization could help to build those workflow deploying them independently to production you know operate them and so on now at some point uh, you know we started to explore the idea to have this as a service for uh, another company so i can't mention the company um, you know, so, uh, but basically what happened is basically we start licensing our platform. We start licensing as part of our deal with the customer and obviously something changed. Well, first, immediately we became like a revenue generating team. You know, when you are a platform, as I mentioned before, you are a multiplier. So I don't know if the company goal is to increase revenue. The only thing that you can do as a platform is support the other teams. But you don't directly sort of affect revenue. When you become like, a, you know, a, a revenue stream, then things slightly change because obviously there is, there is more attention, attention to details, there is attention to the quality, um, you know, the SLA become even more important because you may be with a contract with a third party company, while internally you may have SLA with other teams or not. Uh, so there are a number of things that change. There is also like a good thing that is obviously now you have two different set of customers. You have the internal customers and external customers. And they don't always overlap. They mean don't always overlap. For example, the security measure that you have for external people using your platform is very different from you know employee that you know have access and something like that. So certainly that was one of the challenge. But in general, like it was a very good thing for the team. You know, in general, it was a very good thing. Obviously, we we had to 
increase the team capacity in terms of like, you know, support. We finally found the budget to have a product person in there. Uh, again, like it's easier if it's a revenue generating uh, team. Um, bear in mind that I talk a lot product, but often cloud platform don't have a product person, mostly because it's very hard to be a product manager for a tech platform. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have need one. And basically, there is a lead there that is kind of like is doing both both roles. Um, so no, the, my experience in general was positive. Uh, it was very good to start with internally because we learn a lot about usage, uh, and then when we push for external, we knew much more, uh, and we had a way to iterate quickly. So for example, we will get a very early stage versions all internally, and then like you know when it was ready, we were to push it externally. So it, there was also this this approach to sort of like test things early. On a local environment and uh, and then push it push it out, but yeah, no, it was a yeah, great question. Yeah, I, I actually collected some some examples uh, from the big world, um, and not all of them will be platforms by many definitions, but I just used the, these to help visualize in a familiar with familiar names. So so AWS obviously the first to mind, but then mm, Gmail, as one of my friends pointed out was an internal emailing tool and then it grew and now is core part of the Google business. Um, Django, again, very famous example. Um, Lawrence Journal or newspaper was just running promotions and some kind of, you know, customer interactions and they newspaper like any big major New Zealand needed some new tooling. So they wrote a platform around it and then it became like a very, very, very popular framework out, out on the on the big world. And um, Netflix Chaos Monkey highly adopted uh, over the world. Facebook React again, uh, Google Polymer, uh, same thing. Um, and then there's this category where where only the idea was taken into into an external platform. So if you think Kafka was born from link, the the internal LinkedIn solutions core idea, uh, and then Kubernetes itself was coming together from Google, Borg, and Facebook Tupperware's base idea, and uh, it was refurbished to to becoming a product. Uh, and also like this this will come with other benefits for your internal internal platform onboarding, understanding, and like you save lots of onboarding time in, in Google's case, I have no idea, but it must be serious months. Uh, but one thing you can see on these patterns I collected is um, that these are very big companies who can take risks and the risk is in their DNA. Uh, and also companies where the shareholders won't be surprised that, um, or accept the fact that, hey, I thought we were a book selling company bookstore and now you say we are gonna sell some it thing to it people like shareholder like in many companies if you would expose something publicly shareholders the the owners might might raise some eyebrows um going back to this big banking platform i've been working on we actually did serious improvements to the platform's performance and we didn't feed back to the open source community uh, because then we would lose competitive edge uh, if if all the improvements we spent money on will be on other people's hands. So there's always trade-off um, deciding if you want to keep something internal or external. And the question is, do you have a universal selling point um, thanks to it? And also 
I actually did find one example in our company, which I cannot confirm. So handle this very lightly, but the timelines align. I was in a different department, so I this is just how I put together the picture and the person who could confirm to me is on holiday right now. So, uh, but basically, uh, KYC is a very hard domain, um, like really hard. It's surprisingly complex uh, and it's a regulatory requirement. Many companies struggle with it. It's always underestimated. And around the same time when we were working on it, uh, when some part of our company was working on it. Uh, Yoti was born from the same founder with some overlaps with the company's personnel. So don't know if the platform was already there or the idea or the need, uh, but the need was born for sure. And um, and therefore the realization of the of the potential benefits of the potential business opportunity. And then it was a risk assessment in my, in my uh, idea. Again, I wasn't there. This is just <laughs> something that happened very close to me. Um, but that would be a very good example. And like right now, not only are we are their customers, but also NHS, Post Office, and some other big names. Uh, so yeah, KYC kind of tool. And if you have, like, if you need to nail a very complex topic anyway, then you might as well, uh, expand on it if it's not part of your core business. Oh, great. Uh, I think, uh, what Simone and Gabor has mentioned, I think it's literally the, uh, what I was gonna, uh, mention some of them, but I think one aspect, which I feel when it comes to product, i.e. platform, uh, that we talk about is. We always think when it is internal and we have developed a product which is internal to use and we now want to externalize it, we put thoughts into it and see and make sure that the external customers, is it usable for them, is is the revenue stream and all of that. But what about the vice versa? I, if it's already external, we have we are an external facing company, do we put the similar thoughts into making it external? Uh, sorry, internal. And do we think about the customers? Do we think about the risk factor? Do we think about uh, the marketing? All those aspects as organizations do they put into uh, that making a platform external into an internal platform. So I think the points that everyone has made, I think they are quite valid and they would be very much uh, something that I would want to implement in most of the companies or in, in my organization as well. But I think having that out, outward to inward look from external to internal is also important that can your product or a platform which you have externalized it, can you take a part of it and be, create an internal platform or can you create an internal product from it? So uh, that's where I would uh, say. Yeah. Thank, um, thanks, Keith. Um, there, yeah, um, there's some like it, there's two bits there, that are two sort of areas that seem to intersect that came out of um of everyone's points i think um you talked simone about uh whether or not it's going to be a multiplier or this revenue stream thing which maybe is this like discrete sense of value um you know gabo a lot of the examples you know you gave were like here's an open source thing right here's uh, versus here's like here's a here's a here's a product licensed thing maybe like a bought off the shelf maybe a some SaaS thing and it feels like there's some intersection here between you know, these open source things being sort of we're going to expose something we use internally as a multiplier to maybe multiply maybe market or, or some other factor versus this well we're going to open up this thing to be a new revenue stream this is a new thing we're going to sell which is i i, I mean that's maybe we could that's an interesting area of intersection but i guess the the other thing that maybe talked about that multiplier versus discrete thing, these two different kinds of customer. 
is how you're prioritizing. Right? How are you going to prioritize this work? I've sold to two companies in this discrete revenue stream. You know, they're asking for a feature on the basis of how they think they should solve a problem versus us saying, well, we want to do it in a different way in order to multiply every team. I guess there's got to be some way to be, I don't know what the answer is, but maybe just being conscious of those things is enough. If you can communicate it to work out priority. No, actually being a multiplier as a platform internally is going to lead us to have X more revenue because we're going to be better at doing these other things that we do versus, hey, if we sold this thing, we might have this revenue stream you know, that we're then maybe tied to. I don't know, it just seems like there's some, there's some interesting intersections there. And I'm really thankful you guys sort of highlighted those bits because, uh, um, yeah, I haven't thought about it in the sort of those clear terms before. So, yeah, thanks for your answers. Yeah, I like how you distilled down all, all the all the talk from us into this very simple output. Like that, that's spot on. I really like that. Yeah, in, in a way, I think this lends readily well to, to my question, that is then, uh, you know, obviously, platform have a you know have a path, and they they change. So my question is, that how do the metrics adopted to drive platform development change with the maturity of the platform? So while the time passes, what you used to do to measure at the beginning is it the same that you use after one year? What are the key changes that trigger that change? What kind of metrics you use then, and and so on? That's that's my question. I think the measurements will be generally the same. But obviously, if there's a change in direction, your net metrics will need to follow. But in most cases, if you did a very good legwork on the planning phase, the, the metrics will be unchanged. We talked about in earlier questions. Th those are fine. But in my mind, the change is how do they, these metrics will behave. Um, they will become more stable, less dense and spikes along the way, less outage. So reliability will, will go upwards. Um, but then also performance will go downwards because as as your platform grows, more lines of code, more complexity, it will become harder and harder to operate as well. So it might be that some costs will go up as well. So, um, but definitely the the performance, like if it's uh, stagnating, you are already doing something very good. But as the adoption grow and as the platform grows older, uh, I think it's nearly inevitable that that performance will drop uh, and also the change how how the platform will change needs to mature you cannot anymore do breaking changes or if you want to change the api that will be need to very well communicated again roadmap the head um, and yeah so that's that's my summary the metrics itself won't change but how, what are you looking for in them will change thank you yeah um, yeah, I think uh, I think I would probably think in similar terms. I guess it, as as maturity increases, maybe early on, you're thinking about exploration of the domain. You're biasing towards experimentation, possibly. Um, you know, you're trying to find the best way to solve a problem. Maybe as it matures, one would think that if you've got it's mature, then you must have had good adoption. Right, it must be the right way to solve that problem. I guess then people are looking to find just optimize, like optimize in every way you can uh, to make that be the slickest kind of commodity, the least likely to be the bottom there. Uh, and I guess those are all operational metrics. Um, are there other metrics maybe that as you mature, you know, Gabor, you talked a bit about complexity increase, you know, and maybe that means as complexity increases, the speed 
in other ways might decrease, right? It's a bigger beast to understand. Oh, if you're in this context, you need to pull this lever to make it go faster in this way. Um, if you pull the wrong lever, you're going to get a suboptimal output. Um, so trying to find a way, I guess, to measure that sense of complexity, uh, whether that is, I don't know, number of endpoints in an API is something as ridiculously simple as that. I mean, who knows? But yeah, it feels like, I don't know what the answer is, but it does feel like there's something there that you'd want to measure. But I don't know exactly what the what the SLI would be. Yeah, no, I think uh, the metrics similar would, would stay similar as much platform matures. But I think there's one aspect, which is user research, which is quite key that if at the start of the platform creation, you put your effort into user research and you want to make your platform a success at the start as a company are you continuously keeping that user research as your constant and as a metric you can keep that in mind that if a company thinks that we have achieved what we want and we know what the customers now want that's a very danger and a very edge uh, kind of a th thought process that everyone if if it's from the top it can trickle down quite quickly and everyone will think from that aspect only that we know what customers want so we don't need to do a re user research and if we use that metric one of those metrics quite uh, carefully we might know whether our adoption is still the same or our adoption is dropping or is uh, is going up and down and that's where i think great or from an engineering point of view we are keeping performance and complexity and all of that but user research is one key aspect which i feel that has to be there and ma made sure from the leadership and from the top bottom that it always is part of your platform maturity. So that that's what I would say. Thanks, thanks, guys. I suppose back to you, uh, Simone. How do your metrics change uh, onto you know with, with the maturity of the platform? Yeah. So the reason I brought this question is obviously because until we start a new platform, and uh, you know I spent a lot of time working on platform before, so I'm shaping how this is gonna look like now. Right? So in, I think I'm in my mind as engineers, we tend to focus a lot on engineering metrics. You know, think about throughput, availability, security. As like Kitan said, this is always on top of our mind. And obviously, because it's a platform and technology platform, we our immediate thought is about those metrics. Um, my view is that what the really change is the focus in terms of product metrics. So uh, on the first question with um, with Gabor, it was about well, maybe the first is adoption, right? So are we sure? Are we are we feeling like a gap? But then at some point, I normally like in my previous company it happened at different points. So this is where it is not always the same. But you may want to focus, for example, on let's call it, you know, if it was a product customer retention. So how 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 satisfied is your customer? How efficient are we making them? Normally you focus on that next. If for example, you notice that you know the customer happiness is not high. So someone mentioned MPS score. I used to send like a survey every month to all our users to understand how we are doing, what was the main pain point. When we saw that got lower than a certain extent, we say, okay, now we're going to invest on that. You invest in research, you sit with them, you, you're trying to figure out if it's like lack of training, it's lack of documentation, is it like just a process that has very low developer experience. But another time, for example, the next step was to focus on our internal efficiency because the platform was a bit like not completely self-serve, so we'll have to do something to onboard new customers. We'll have to do something to support them and so on. And that support was like too much. It was like not scalable. We were getting a lot of requests. A lot of people wanted to use the platform, but we were like, well, we are a team and we, we're struggling. So we focused another quarter. We focused on efficiency, internal efficiency. How can we reduce, you know, 70% the amount of work we need to do? So we did more better self-service and so on. 
And in my experience, what happened is that after in the life cycle of the platform, those kind of thing come back. So it's kind of like you circle back around those three adoptions. Sometimes adoptions slow down, so you kind of like refocus on adoption for a quarter. Then it happened, I don't know, like internal efficiency. Again, we're getting so much success that we need to automate more. And then it happened again. Oh, you know, it dropped. I don't know, like customer satisfaction dropped. So it's a bit like this is what it moves. So uh, this is in my mind. I think from a, I'm a big fan of one metrics per quarter. It's kind of like if your team want to do one thing, is that one is the most important? So these are the three that normally I rotate from a product perspective for platforms. I hope that, that clarify my thoughts. Brilliant. All right. Well, yeah, really interesting final questions, Simone, and, and, and some great answers in there. Um, does anyone have any final questions to each other or anything you want to add? I really like the exchange between Gabor and Jason on the you know if you're open sourcing and you're doing this for a certain way and then you, you have a revenue stream how to pass that i think this is very fascinating especially in the open source space you know like companies sort of like put something out and that is bigger than how much they were billing for it it was like you know they give them bigger market share or i don't know they improve their hiring because people started to work on local base and then they go higher so i think there are a lot of like secondary effect of externalizing a platform especially in open source and it's certainly something that needs to be in the equation. So thank you very much for pointing this out. I haven't thought about it. Yeah, and yeah. E even if you open source, it doesn't necessarily mean there cannot be any revenue from it. Um, if I'm thinking Scala, they just founded, you know, the support uh, that will bill you on the hour, and then everything else is open source. But you know, it, you would probably get support from the guys who built it, uh, the team who built it. Um, so it not necessarily excluding each other but it it rather depends on the company strategies mm -hmm, yeah. okay brilliant sure. sorry jason did you want to add, add something uh, not well I, I don't know not really and uh, nothing more than was already spoken of just another example it's uh, in my head i'm thinking of you know django which i love right you've got to build things in python it's brilliant right uh, admin page for free is great if you're just building some website that's got to stand up in two weeks or something um, I have no idea whether that means that they sold more newspapers. Um, <laughs> and I don't know whether they charge for support in using I, it or whether there's some other, some market effect that is not necessarily visible. And it's, uh, I've just got something to do with on Google this afternoon or this evening, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, this is just, just an ed educated guess from me, but I guess um, by being able to, to fastly output these these interactive things the the user happiness was great and then by open sourcing it the platform became right. more stable more uh, scalable and then they got all that for free backported to their system therefore the the user journey was even better so there's like this kind of amplifying feedback loop uh, as well here yeah the yeah. pure multiplier kind of uh, we'll let the we'll let the community make our newspaper better <laughs> yeah. yeah that certainly resonates so like i think i um i used to work for a well i still work for a vc basically i do due diligence and i was reviewing a company called tile desk that i kind of like do an open source software for customer support and i for the a way they because it's open source there was a lot of interesting discussion and one was very cool that was something like we build something open source as a company, we are too small to support it. So the reason it was open sourced was because so that we have a community that can support us. So for them, uh, it wasn't a core part of their product. 
but they felt like they weren't an important part enough to support the open source so the community could work on it and so they didn't have to, to be the only one to, to sort of like support development and I think maybe this is what happened with Django it's kind of like they, they would have never been able to support them themselves internally but instead in this way has been thriving as a as a technology so yeah interesting well thank you very much guys Re really enjoyable podcast hope hope you guys enjoyed it too um yeah for anyone listening back home it's a absolute absolute masterclass with, with these four gentlemen on the podcast today um and hope everyone took something from it i'm sure you did uh so yeah this has been the evolution exchange podcast i'd like to personally thank gabba and jason and simone for coming on today and hopefully you know if you've been interested in coming on again we'd definitely have you you guys on um if you'd like to be involved in a future podcast if you're listening uh, please reach out to me on linkedin or email me at michael.sullivan at evolution.contracts.co.uk cheers see you soon